Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepard. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me, as always, is my co-host, John Tidy from reaperblog.net. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Great. And this episode, normally we have a kind of a big topic or a, an overall theme for the show. Um, in this case, that's not the case. This is a kind of a roundup of some interesting topics we think that you guys will find helpful that we didn't think warranted doing an entire episode on. So, um, yeah, we need a jingle, really. This is the Loudness News episode. And the first thing we're going to talk about is some new features in a piece of software, a digital audio workstation called Reaper. And it's a real shame that we don't have an expert on hand who knows everything about Reaper and could tell us what those features are. Oh, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's horribly <laughs> lame. Yeah, <laughs> that was, but we'll go with it, I guess. Yeah, so there's lots of new stuff related to loudness, normalization, um, loudness metering and things in Reaper 6.30. It's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty big update and it's lots of cool stuff. I think probably the most interesting one for mastering context would be the render normalization option. And so with that, you can render your mix, it analyzes the loudness, and then it can apply an amount of gain to hit some certain target that you choose, whether it's true peak at minus one, or if it's a certain LUFS integrated level, short-term, momentary, uh, any of those things. So lots of application for that and also misuse with that, I yeah, think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, before we dig into that, we should probably maybe just, I mean, I, I imagine most people listening to this will already know what normalization is, but just in case they don't, I mean, it's basically, well, the term means making something normal. And the question is, what is normal? Which is why you have different types of normal, right? So I mean, when I first came across normalization back in the day, it was to make all of the, uh, make any audio file peak at zero dB FS. Yeah. And that's, that's the first thing that I always think about it. And that is rarely useful, I would say. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, back in the day when you had a bunch of files of, of wildly different levels, I guess getting them vaguely in the right ballpark would be uh, useful. But I mean, you know, anybody who's listened to this show before will know that uh, in particularly in terms of loudness, peak level is not particularly useful. You know, peak level is useful to, for knowing that you're not clipping and that's about it. Yeah. I think my first negative experience with normalization was when I would download a bunch of songs and burn them to a CD, or if I would just rip a CD and then burn a copy of that um, whatever burning software would have this normalization option on by default, and it would change the levels of all the songs so that, you know, the quiet intro that's like, you know, just this ambient thing is as loud as, or actually appears to be louder because it's brought the peak levels up to the loudest death metal song or whatever. So it's, <laughs> you know, when you take something that's intentionally quiet, normalize it, to a level that's not supposed to be at and put it up against something that was supposed to be loud, it's going to just throw everything out of balance. So that's why normalization can be really bad. And a lot of times it's implemented poorly 
Uh, but it can be useful for consistency. Yeah, well, and particularly if if loudness normalization right is used rather than mm-hmm. peak normalization. Um, I mean, because the next step on from me, I think, I think it was SoundForge was probably the software that I used first that had peak normalization in it, but it also had RMS normalization, where it, instead of measuring the peaks and making the peaks equal or normalized, it would measure the RMS level and uh, normalize that. The disadvantage was that you could unintentionally clip the file if it turned a quiet one up too far, for example. Um, yeah. But that's kind of more useful. And then even more useful than that is LUFS normalization, which is what I think Reaper has, right? Well, any any type of normalization now, any sort of loudness standard, it can, it can um, normalize to when you're rendering. Um, or... If it's just like within the production process, there is an extension that's older that can um, analyze the the level and then normalize it to that. Okay, so what happens if you, let's say we've got something that's peaking at zero and the loudness was minus 18 LUFS and you tell it to normalize it to minus 14 LUFS, that's going to cause peaks of plus 4 dB. What happens? Does that get clipped or not? Yeah, that would be clipped then. I think it's at 64-bit floating point when it does the processing, but that would end up in a a clipped recording in the end. Okay, so it doesn't store it as a, a kind of a floating point intermediary file. Uh, unless you choose to. But usually you're rendering a mix down to 24-bit or 16-bit, so that would be clipped. Okay, does it give you any kind of warning when that happens, or, do, or other than the meters going red? So when you render your mix, you'll if there were any peaks, you'll see that as red... Um, red kind of markers in the the waveform uh, in the render window, uh, but then the normalize process is right after that. It just takes a second for it to to normalize, and it'll show you the the overall. Because there's kind of like st- statistics at the in that window. That's one of the situations where you're you're going to have to think about using a limiter and things like that. And actually, that brings us to the next feature that they added, which was called dry run rendering. And that's a way that you can get those render statistics for things like what's the RMS level, what's the LUFS integrated of this section or this entire file or just this even MIDI item. It can do a called dry run render where it's essentially rendering your project like you would normally, but it's just not creating a file. It just gets you those statistics. And things like TruePeak and LUFS integrated tend to work better kind of like as an offline process. So once you have the file created, it's super quick to render that. Otherwise it would have to play, you know, a, a real-time LUFS integrated meter has to run for the entire length of your pro- of your content to actually get you a, a usable number. Yeah, that's that's cool. And it's it's funny because your kind of initial reaction is, well, why not just render it? But actually, personally, I find that really annoying to render yeah. something and then realize, oh, there was a problem with it. It you know, it was too loud, or it was too quiet, and then have to delete the file and run it again. So it's actually quite nice to just be able to run it through, look at all the numbers, and then decide whether or not you actually want to commit it to a file. Yeah. So um, this, is, this is really useful for sound design work, game audio work, often going through such a complex chain that may- maybe is random every time as well. And maybe you don't want to rely on a limiter there. You can use the dry run render and see if it peaks above whatever you're, you know, uh, with game audio, there's often very strict um, level requirements for things mm-hmm. or 
And for consistency, you would use the, the render normalization. So even this week, I've been working on this um, fully sound designed podcast. And I ended up just taking my iPhone with a little microphone attachment out to the park. And me and my kids actually ended up recording some sounds that I needed in the podcast. And after I edit them, I've been rendering them to my library, um, you know, depending on the sound. So like if it's footsteps, I, don't, I think it was like minus, minus 12 LUFS I may have rendered it at. I, I don't mm -hmm. rem remember the exact numbers, but um, impact sounds were at minus six true peak. And, and so I could just focus on, you know, kind of editing the content, but then actually like rendering it out, getting everything like perfectly level matched. That's all kind of done for me. Nice. I think using that for music mastering would be a mistake. Heavily relying on that render normalization in, uh, in music mastering would be a mistake. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's the second. So we're kind of coming up with a list of, uh, you know, things to be careful about, aren't we, in this? It's, yeah. You know, be careful not to normalize something so that you unintentionally add clipping or heavy limiting or whatever it might be. Um, and, you know, we've said this many times on the show before, don't aim for targets. Uh, you know, yeah. choosing to render all of your music files at mi minus 14 might seem like a good idea since the streaming services are going to play it back at minus 14 but it's unlikely to work musically because you don't yeah. want an acoustic ballad to be as loud as a rock song and, and all that kind of stuff. And also... It's a reference level. It's not, it's not the ideal level. It's, it's, it, yeah. We've explained it so many times. I talked about it in my, in my uh, What's New in Reaper 6.30 video, but I still end up seeing comments about it. So <laughs> I know it's, I, this is the thing. I, I kind of feel like we need to mention it. It's kind of like a, dis, maybe we should have a disclaimer at the start. You know, one of those things where all the gaps have been, Elu has should not be used as a target. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, anybody who kind of isn't up to speed with that, uh, maybe if you're new to the, to the show, um, we will put some links in the show notes at themasteringshow.com. There's a couple of episodes, more than a couple of episodes on LUFS and why using a particular level as a target is not a great idea. But you're right, particularly for broadcast, um, as well as game audio, you know, where the specification is you will deliver the file at minus 23. You know, it just saves you a step. It's like you say, I want this at 20, minus 23, rather than measuring it and then saying, okay, so I have to turn it down or up by whatever yeah. dB. And also just being able to see, doing that dry run render to see, okay, if I run it as is, you know, I'm going to get uh, peak levels going three dBs above zero. So that's going to clip. So I need yeah. a limiter. Or or maybe your LUFS momentary level is is consistently too high for you. So, you know, if you like you have your dialogue, say minus 16, is your momentary loudness. I don't want to say target, let's say goal. Uh, <laughs> and and you could see that in, in your render statistics. So you could adjust maybe a little less compression or just maybe turn the track down by a little bit. Does it tell you um, when in the file a certain level has been hit? Let's say you kind of come out and you discover that your maximum short-term loudness was, you know, minus eight, and you think that's a bit hot. I think it's right now it's only peak level that is actually shown. Okay, that's interesting, because I noticed one of the other features they've got is lots of loudness options in the master track meter. And in there, you can definitely go in and say, I want to see integrated loudness, or I want to see the current short-term loudness, or I want to see the loudest short-term loudness, or I want to see the moment momentary loudness, all of those kind of things. Um, and I think you can specify that 
for some of the tracks as well, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Not currently, but it is something that I've seen them testing, like per track LUFS metering, um, which may be overkill. But uh, there is also the loudness meter plugin that uh, they added in that update. So it's a, you know, it's a just a Reaper format plugin. It can go on any track and it gives you true peak RMS, um, RMS momentary, RMS integrated. I actually haven't seen those two specifications used very much. It usually just says RMS. LUFS momentary, LUFS short-term, loudness range, and LUFS integrated. This is a meter that can be configured to show any of those meters, and um, it can be embedded into the track control panel or into the mixer, so you just kind of have this, this meter that moves when you play back, and there's a, a peak number. So pretty useful and, uh, yeah, just nice that it integrates well with the Reaper mixer. Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, that's one of the things I like about WaveLab is the excellent built-in um, loudness metering. So it's great to see that kind of moving to other platforms. Yeah. Um, I mean, just listening to you reel off that list reminded me of uh, some... I mean, so the, the idea for this, including this information in an episode of the, the podcast, was seeing um, Reaper users kind of discussing the new features online, which, you know, is cool that they're kind of engaged and paying attention to this stuff. And the most common question I saw was, wait, which LUFS do I use? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I mean, and there is a kind of bewildering array of options. So um, for anybody listening to this who is feeling that way, uh, we won't kind of repeat ourselves by going into this. But again, um, we've done a couple of episodes on LUFS and we will uh, put a link in the show notes uh, with, that you can check out if you want to kind of dig into that in more detail. And I mean, so to some extent, it's a personal preference, isn't it? Because I know that you use momentary LUFS um, quite a bit, especially for speech, whereas yeah. I most of the time pay attention to the short-term loudness when I'm mastering music. So, you know, it's it depends to some extent what you personally find helpful. I think it's one of the downsides of LUFS in general, right, is that on the one hand, it's kind of useful that it has all of these different types that have different use cases. But on the downside, that is confusing for people just trying to get up to speed with with using it, which is a shame. Absolutely. One other kind of thing that interested me that I noticed when I was playing around, I mean, I'm, I'm not a Reaper user, so I, I updated, uh, you know, specifically to check these features out. I did notice that by default, the loudness method for these meters is RMS, which uh, you told me is, you know, to maintain consistency with previous releases. But it does mean yeah. that users are going to have to go in and deliberately change those options to kind of take advantage of uh, all of these new features, um, which makes sense. Um, but I guess might kind of cause a situation where people think they're getting loudness metering and they're not really. I mean, RMS and LUFS are fairly similar, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how that whether that adds to the confusion or not. Yeah, in addition to that, there was even a tutorial from Kenny Joya about LUFS metering in Reaper and it was basically he just showed how to use the RMS meter, and <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it yeah um, that also kind of added to the confusion. But in in general, like, yeah, there there's all these new options, but they're all optional and um, and opt in essentially. So the yeah. people that know it's there can take advantage of it. The people that don't know they need it can continue not using it. Yeah. And I like, the, I mean, 
you know, on the one hand, it is potentially confusing that there are so many options. On the other hand, I like the flexibility because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it here and I like the option of the little readout at the top of the meter, you know, yep. that normally kind of shows you your maximum peak level. You can choose what you want that to show you. And one of the options is, for example, the maximum short-term loudness, yeah. which is something that I pay quite a bit quite a bit of attention to. You know, if, if the loudness is pushing up beyond minus 10 a lot of the time, that's when I start to think, okay, do I really want it to be this loud? So I think that's a that's a cool option to have. Um, yeah. And I don't think that these new features um, really eliminate the need for other loudness meters, like uh, perception, dynameter, uh, the meter plugs. Uh, L-cost? Yeah. All of those, they're still just as useful as they've ever been. And uh, if you prefer using them, definitely do that. Um, one last final thought on the normalized thing. Mm -hmm. Really the main benefit that a lot of people are seeing is that they don't need to create an intermediate file. They don't need to render their mix, import it into a new session, then normalize it, and then render it again, or resave it in some other way. Mainly a huge time saver for, for people that consistently have to normalize every single file that they export. Really, the alternative is to just slap a limiter on it and and potentially crush it with the limiter, just to to hit a certain target every single time. So yeah, absolutely. I think you know all of these things are kind of not essential, but but definitely nice to have. Um, I wanted to just add a couple of kind of extra little comments um, about what I noticed when I went in there. One of the things is that the so the master output loudness meter has an offset setting, which by default is set to 14 dBs. So that means that if your session is coming out averaging around minus 14 LUFS, the meter will show zero, which is interesting. That's kind of related to Bob Katz's kind of K system, you know, where you, you choose your zero point to fit around, I guess, your reference level. The, mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to say target, but the, the kind of level that you're nominally kind of bearing in mind. Another interesting thing is that there's a display gain setting, which has a 3dB option. I guess that's related to the different types of RMS, perhaps. Yeah. So those other options are older and those like those were there for the RMS readout originally. Okay. But they apply to the LUFS as well. So if you started it out as at RMS with, I don't know, minus 14 and plus three gain, and then switch to uh, LUFS, those those other options will still be there with the same settings. So, which is not really, you probably would want to customize that. I've got mine all set at zero right now, um, but I messed around with this when I was making, like learning these features for the video and then ended up forgetting what, <laughs> what was supposed <laughs> to be there. So yeah, um, I've got mine on LUFS uh, dash M, in brackets, LUFS dash I uh, for my main loudness meter, which means that integrated is going to be the the peak number at the top of the meter, and then display offsets at at zero. Right. Whereas I've still got, I think what's close to the defaults. So mine is set to LUFS S for short term. Um, the display offset is fourteen, so minus fourteen is zero. And then the final option, that again, I think is interesting, is that it has the red threshold. By default, is set to 4 dB. So that means if your 
loudness gets 4 dBs above the zero point, which in this case is minus 14, then the meters will start to turn red. Uh, and you can, that has a few options. Oh, it's, it's zero or four, but I kind of quite like that. Just the... And you could type in anything there. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, all of this gets a thumbs up from me. I, you know, I mean, the only downside I would say is that with all of these things, there's a the potential for kind of confusion, you know, and for people to kind of do things they, they don't expect. But, you know, that replies to pretty much anything in audio, I think. Yeah. <laughs> At this point. Okay, cool. Every other DAW may already have this stuff, and I just don't know because I haven't looked at another DAW in 10 years, almost. So, Well, uh, yeah, I mean, WaveLab has some of it, but not all of it. Um, and some of it may be buried away there in the settings that I haven't explored. So ex exactly the same thing could apply as well. I, I know that, I mean, definitely Logic has an LUFS meter now, but it's from what I've seen, it's fairly rudimentary. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure Cubase and Nuendo have LUFS metering. I don't know how sophisticated those are. So yeah, we, we might get a, a ton of people kind of saying, this is completely old news, but um, yeah, it's worth bringing to people's attention if they don't already know about it. And that also applies to uh, the other main topic we wanted to tackle this episode, um, which is the fact that Spotify have removed their limiter. Now, actually, that's not 100% true, and we'll get into we'll get into the uh, kind of the messy details of that in a minute. So I guess we should start off by saying that most streaming services don't turn up quieter music, but Spotify does um, to minimise the changes in loudness when we're listening because people find those annoying. And in the past, if increasing the loudness of a quieter song would have caused clipping, would have pushed the peak level above zero they would have applied a fairly rudimentary limiter to that to stop it happening. Now, for most rock, pop, mainstream music that is mastered louder than minus 14 LUFS, which is Spotify's default distribution loudness, that just wasn't an issue because that stuff is only ever going to get turned down. So the limiter would never come into play. Um, and actually, it's probably worth just kind of reinforcing that because that's a, that's another one of those topics I still see people getting confused about. You know, none of the streaming services have ever, ever added any extra dynamic processing if they needed to reduce the level. If people put super loud stuff on there, uh, it would just get turned down. Nobody ever used any extra limiting to achieve that. So if you kind of hear limiting and compression on something that you upload on a streaming service, that's because that's what you put on there and you weren't noticing it before because it was really loud. And it's <laughs> it's only when the, the loudnesses get evened out that it suddenly becomes more noticeable. That That is something that I see a lot of people say, like uh, YouTube, like if you upload too loud, it's going to destroy it. And it's like, no, it doesn't do any dynamic range con compression. It's it's like... No, absolutely. Just... It, it is. It's one of those myths that keeps um, persisting. Obviously, the audio on YouTube and the other streaming platforms, or most of them, is data compressed, yeah, lossy, lossy compressed. so it's kind of MP3 or AAC or whatever, one of these Og Vorbis, one of the many different formats. The louder the music is mastered, the tougher it is for them to do a great job. So, for example, one thing that you might find is that you hear less stereo width and less depth and image in something that's mastered super loud, where the codec is really struggling to encode it cleanly or effectively. And, and that can kind of feel like it's affecting the dynamics, you know? If you're feeling like some of the space and life is being sucked out of the recording, then 
you might interpret that as dynamic processing, but it's not. That's just the codec doing its thing. They're not adding extra compression or limiting. Have you ever noticed that, John, or are you always kind of comfortable with hearing stuff that's been turned down? Yeah, I, I guess I just don't notice it, but also I don't master it to be like as loud as possible. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, I see it. People complain about it more than I think actually anything actually is there. So. Well, I, yeah. And I mean, the, the most common thing, you know, or something that I see a lot is that somebody will say that and then somebody else will go, no, actually it's being turned down. And then a huge argument <laughs> <laughs> and either everybody gets bored and leaves or um, at some point somebody goes, oh yeah, you're right. No, it's the same. They just turned it down. I did that. Anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Main point is that Spotify, YouTube, none of them have used a limiter to turn stuff down only if they needed to turn things up. And actually Spotify is the only one I know of that used a limiter to do that. But that has now changed. So right at the beginning of this year, they switched from using the old replay gain method of measuring loudness to using LUFS loudness. And now they are no longer using the limiter, by which I mean, let's say your song was at minus 18 and the peaks were at minus two. Since their distribution loudness is minus 14, back in the day, they would have turned the song up by 4 dB and you'd have ended up with an extra 2 dBs of limiting on top. Um, and depending on the material, that may or may not have sounded okay. Um, judging by the number of people who complained about it, <laughs> more often than not, it didn't sound great. Now, the behavior has changed. They will still turn that quieter song up if you're listening in a playlist or in shuffle. But instead of turning that song up by 4 dB, at the point where the peaks reach minus 1 dB true peak, they will stop increasing the gain. So that minus 18 song that had 2 dB of peak headroom will only get turned up by 1 dB to avoid adding extra limiting. So there's kind of two different takeaways from that. One is it's great if you want to master your music with extra dynamics and hated the fact that Spotify would add extra limiting because they're not doing that anymore. Your more dynamic song will stay more dynamic, but also it means that it won't anymore be lifted up to the distribution loudness, to the reference level that Spotify uses of minus 14. So as a result, it might sound a little bit quieter than you had expected. That's a complicated thing. How did I do explaining it? It did make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's saying something. <laughs> no, no, no. I've been talking about this stuff at you for long enough. <laughs> yeah, but I usually tune it out if it's about Spotify. <laughs> so I still have not even yet played one single song off, off Spotify, so I don't know. Wow. Okay, that's impressive. Okay, good. Well, um, so I'll keep talking and... Um, well, I thought that was it. <laughs> well, there's one other thing. Okay. There's one other thing, which is that um, Spotify's default uh, distribution loudness reference level is minus 14 LUFS, just like Tidal, just like YouTube. Um, you know, and that's the great thing these days is that most streaming services are using this similar level. So it's much easier to know that if it sounds good on one service, it's going to sound good on all of them. However, Spotify has some preferences for paid up subscribers. So if you have free Spotify, these aren't available, but if you're a subscriber, you can go into the preferences and you can choose normal, which is minus 14 is the default. They also have a quiet setting, which normalizes everything to minus 23, which is the 
the broadcast loudness level used for TV in America and Europe, at least, and increasingly elsewhere as well. And they have a loud setting where the distribution loudness, the reference level, is minus 11 LUFS, so 3 dBs higher. And the idea of that is if you are using or listening in a noisy environment, so outdoors somewhere where there's heavy traffic or uh, you know on a tube, on the subway, anywhere where you can't get the gain loud enough on your device to hear things clearly, they are normalizing to a slightly higher level to help out with that. Now, I don't say most, but a lot of mainstream releases these days are still mastered to levels of minus 11 or higher. So in those cases, they're still going to be turning things down. So you won't actually notice a difference by choosing that loud preset. But for the more dynamic stuff, obviously, that's a bigger gain increase that's going to be needed. Um, And if they'd left the gain of those more dynamic songs lower, as they do for the normal and the quiet settings, they would probably be way too quiet, which kind of defeats the point of loudness normalization. So they are still turning those quiet songs up in that case, and they will still use a limiter to achieve that. So if you go into the settings and choose the loud setting on Spotify, which personally I don't recommend, um, well, you'll get more consistent levels for listening in noisy environments, but you're going to hear some extra limiting on more dynamic material, on stuff that was uploaded more quietly. And so if you're producing or mastering music and going to upload it to Spotify, it's worth understanding that that could happen. I think the final thing that I would say on this point is that apparently, I I, I wish I had an official source for this, but I have been told that only about 17% of users make any change to those normalization settings at all. So that means that 83% of users are going with the default settings, which is normalization on normal setting, minus 14 LUFS, and they never touch it. So I wouldn't agonize too much about this loud setting, you know, the minus 11 LUFS option, because only a very small number of people are probably actually using it. So speaking of codecs used by streaming services, isn't uh, Apple Music now doing lossless streaming? Yes, good point. Um, Actually, you probably have to have been living under a rock to have missed this. Recently, they had a, a big announcement um, that they were going to be offering lossless audio streaming and also introduced Apple Spatial Audio. I'm planning a future episode on Apple Spatial Audio and Dolby Atmos, so we can put that one to one side for a moment. But I think it is worth saying that, uh, yeah, they're now streaming lossless audio, um, so they're not using MP3 or AAC or, or Gvorbis or any of those codecs, so you're not going to get any of those kind of detrimental effects I was mentioning a few minutes ago with with super loud stuff or indeed with any material, what gets uploaded is what can be streamed to the user. And, um, you know, people have kind of asked me what I think about that. And basically, I think it's a great thing. You know, Um, it's interesting because I remember uh, way back when I first got my first iPod, you know, even before the iPod Classic, the the original (laughs) iPods and uh, people were saying, oh, you need to get one of these. And I was like, I don't want to listen to MP3. And they said, no, 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 it's AAC. It's the, the Apple version. It's, it sounds better. And I was skeptical and I listened and was pleasantly surprised and went ahead and got an iPod. And kind of from ever on since then, I was, I always thought to myself, yeah, it, it sounds fine. It sounds good enough. Now, lossless audio, you can even stream 2496 audio if you, if you choose. 
I was just curious about it and I was checking it out and I started doing some tests, plumbing it through uh, a real-time codec preview to see what the difference was. And I was very pleasantly surprised at how good the lossless sounded. It's a subtle change, but I think it's a worthwhile change. So, and it's free as part of an Apple Music subscription. So if you're already an Apple Music subscriber um, and you have the bandwidth, then, you know, I don't really see any downside to listening in lossless. It's only going to make the music sound even better. That You know, there are some slightly disappointing caveats. For example, if you have a pair of Bluetooth headphones, including the Apple AirPods Pro, Bluetooth doesn't support lossless audio streaming. So your phone could be downloading lossless files, but your headphones are not going to be playing it to you. And that's a shame, but that's not Apple's fault. That's a limitation of the current hardware. And I'm sure over time that will get updated and and resolved. So uh, yeah, I think as far as I'm concerned, lossless audio uh, is just a good thing. And if you can use it, then you should. Yeah, um, I'm just going through some some of the uh, things people have said about this uh, this stuff with Apple Music, mm-hmm. and um, one of the kind of issues right now is that it's difficult to get your music onto Apple Music with the 24-bit 96K or or whatever format above CD quality with a, a company like CD Baby that would uh, what do you call that? Aggr- is it an aggregator? Yeah. Yeah, so something like CD Baby for distribution, they'll they'll only upload the 16-bit to Apple Music. So yeah, that is that is a shame. Um, and one of the others, DistroKid, I think recently did start accepting 24-bit higher sample rate files. Um, and it's that's a little bit of a can of worms because if you submit, like if I submit, I'm certified as a mastered for iTunes or a. a Apple Digital Masters, they now call it, engineer. So I can submit high sample rate, uh, high bit depth files. And, you know, looking back, Apple started doing that a few years ago. They were obviously looking forward to this point so that they would have a big catalog of higher specification audio files to stream for people if they wanted it. Um, So that's all good. And because I know that some great people worked on implementing uh, that system, I'm confident that Apple will do a good job of creating lower resolution, you know, 16-bit or 44.1 files for people who need to stream those. I'm less confident about some of the other aggregators and, and distributors. You know, if you send them 2496, will they create a good, clean 1644 version or not? I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying it's a question, you know, uh, you would hope, I mean, the, the technology is there. So in this day and age, I would hope that it's all going to work fine, but there are probably some some wrinkles that are going to be ironed out there. In their usual way, Apple kept this announcement uh, very quiet and then big fanfare as they release it. And now everybody's kind of scrambling to catch up. I don't imagine it will take uh, people like CD Baby long to uh, kind of reconfigure so that it is possible to submit higher specification files. Um, but yeah, there are definitely some... Uh, teething problems just in the short term, I guess. I think that's it for the news. Very cool. Uh, Except that I have one other small piece of news. (laughs) Um, And this is a shameless plug, so you can switch off now if that 
uh, annoys you. Probably, if you're listening to this, you're already aware, but just in case you aren't, uh, we recently released a new version of my Perception plugin. It was quite a big update. In fact, it was rewritten from the ground up. Um, and to reflect that, we have changed the name slightly. It's now called Perception AB to emphasize the what you would use the program for. In case you haven't come across it before, Perception allows you to, in real time, do an instant before and after comparison of any processing chain with automatic uh, loudness matching and sync conversation. It's seamless and you won't get fooled by the loudness deception, uh, by the fact that maybe usually the post signal is a little bit louder or a lot louder than the pre-signal and the loudness changes can kind of swamp any of the other subtle details that you're trying to hear. And the original version of Perception was designed specifically for mastering, but the other big change in with Perception AB is that we've now optimized it for mixing as well. So you can uh, preview or test loudness matched before and after comparisons inside a mix. You can also bypass all of the instances at once. So you, for example, could check how the bass guitars and drums all together sounded within the rest of the mix when you bypass them with the loudness matched. Uh, you can even bypass your entire mix uh, with a single click if you would like. And we just had a really good review in Sound on Sound magazine uh, a week or so before we're recording this episode. So to celebrate, we have put Perception AB on special offer. So if you're listening to this immediately after we upload it, uh, and head over to the Metaplugs website, metaplugs.com. You should be able to get a 30% discount if you want to give Perception AB a try. We'll put some more information about that in the show notes if you're interested. John, have you updated yet? Have you tried the new version? I have not. I think I probably got a new computer since since the last time I looked at it. Then you'll definitely be wanting to check it out. <laughs> I mean, quite seriously, uh, one of the other things that was nice about the, the rebuild was just that we were able to... There was always a little bit of a delay when you started playback um, because of some buffering that was involved in the software. We've managed to eliminate that. So um, that pause now doesn't happen. And it sounds like a small thing, but it's actually really nice using it. I mean, I use it literally on every every song that I master these days. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, I would say this, but <laughs> it's a real pleasure to use. So um, yeah, if anybody's listening and is interested in kind of exploring, you know, well, what does it sound like if I master something louder and how does that change the sound of the song without being fooled by the loudness? Um, Perception AB is a great way to do that. Uh, end of the shameless plug. And end of the show. Absolutely. It was a, a decent little roundup of some of the more disparate um, loudness-related news from the last few weeks and months. Thanks, John, for... Um, well, especially for getting us up to speed with the, the changes in Reaper. Yep. And thanks for mixing the show, as always. Thanks to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. If you enjoy the show, please head over to themasteringshow.com forward slash review and leave us a five-star rating so that other people can also find the show and hopefully find it useful as well. And thanks for listening. <laughs>